something like that. When when was it? When was your Christmas party? Mine was on December 12th. It was fun. It was memorable. I had a good time. I hope you had a good time at any Christmas party you were able to go to. I hope it was memorable. But no matter how memorable the party you went to was, I have one that can beat it. That is not just a little more memorable, far more memorable than the latest Christmas party you've been to, and in fact, than any party you've ever been to. When was the last party you went to? Do you have that date in your mind? Here's the one I'm thinking of, October 11, 539 BC. That's memorable. That's, that's a while ago. It was a grand party great and grand. All the nobility, all the royalty, all the celebrities were there from the greatest empire in the world, the world's superpower. There were thousands at this. Have you ever been to a party with thousands? I don't know that I have. I mean, I guess Times Square on New Year's Eve, something like that would be a party of thousands. I'm not really interested, but maybe you've been to a party with thousands. But this party has been made memorable for us because God recorded it in his word. He recorded it for us as a warning and also as an encouragement and an instruction for us. And we find it happening here in Daniel chapter 5. So read with me. We're going to set the stage by reading the first four verses of Daniel 5 together. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he had tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem, he brought. That the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God, in Jerusalem. And the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. If you've been with us here in the series in Daniel uh, kind of tracking along through chapter 4, uh, we skip about 25 or so years between Daniel 4 and Daniel 5. We know that because of the first two words there, King Belshazzar. But when we last left off, it was King Nebuchadnezzar. And it took about 25 years before King Belshazzar was on the throne in Babylon. He is named after the chief of his gods, whose name is Bel. That's why you hear Belshazzar. And the name of his, his name is translated, O Bel, protect the king. That's who this king is. So now let's go into the room. Let's enter this party as it's happening. As we enter, we will quickly realize, probably through the lighting, through the things that we see, the activities, that are happening, perhaps through the smells, 
certainly through the sounds, if this is not a party, we should probably be in. This is a debauched party. It is a drunken party. Belshazzar is the emperor king over Babylon. And the kings of Babylon did not eat in front of their people. They did not drink in front of their people. And here he sits at the front of the party, drinking in front of all his people. It is a kind of a showing off drinking game that he is engaged in with them. And he's had a little too much to drink. We'll say too much for his own good. And so he issues a command in verse 2 to go get those, those vessels from the temple in Jerusalem. And let's drink with those. So verse 2 uh, records the command, and verse 3 records its accomplishment. But the author of Daniel adds something to verse 3 that wasn't there in verse 2. In verse 2, it was simply, go get the articles from the temple in Jerusalem. But in verse 3, it adds, taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem. These were not just some vessels from some temple, from some city in the region, nor were they some temple in Jerusalem. This was the temple. Unless there be any doubt, this was the house of God in Jerusalem. And those, uh, those vessels had been taken uh, many, many years before and had been brought to Babylon and were in storage. And so Belshazzar commands that they be brought out. And the king will now show off his power over that impotent God from Jerusalem. That defeated people and their defeated God. As he sits in his glory, surrounded by his people, in his palace, in the most well-defended city on earth. And he mocks the living God by purposely, it was, it was no accident, he's, he's being deliberate, taking these articles and using them for profane acts. The holy vessels of God. And then it gets worse. It gets worse. He turns from profaning these vessels through drinking to using the holy vessels of Yahweh for idolatry. And they gather together and they praise the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. It is a grand religious festival, a, a pagan, blasphemous feast. From Belshazzar's worldview, from his perspective, these were simply the vessels uh, from the temple of a defeated god. The gods of Babylon had clearly triumphed over every other god, including the god of the Jews. These were irrelevant. The irrelevant vessels of an irrelevant god. The perspective of heaven was rather different than Belshazzar's perspective. Where do we begin? perspective of heaven begins with the reality in heaven. That reality being God. There is one God. 
There is one God. There are not many gods. There are many demonic pretenders that would set themselves up as gods. There is but one God. As God declares in Deuteronomy 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. It is that God that Belshazzar is mocking. But heaven knows something else of this God, this one God, this one God is holy. He is holy. Friends, holiness is, I think, the most difficult of God's attributes for us to grasp, to get our minds around and understand. If, if I were to talk about God's power, you could do this in your mind. You could think of some situation where you've seen power, and then kind of in your mind you purify it a little bit, and make it bigger and say, well, that must be what God's power is like. Or if I was to talk about God's love, you could think of a situation where you've seen love and you could purify it a little bit in your mind and make it much bigger and you could say, well, that must be what God's love is like. We can, we can argue from the creaturely to the creator, but not with holiness. Because holiness is what distinguishes the creature from the creator. It is God's otherness, his set-apartness, his not-like-us-ness. And so if you try to reason to God from man, you will miss his holiness. Because he's not like us in this way. One of the major things of God's Holiness is his perfection, his moral, ethical perfection and goodness. His every desire is right and good. His every action is just. His every word is pure and perfect and delightful. And our problem is not just that we're creatures trying to understand a creator so high above us. It's that we are creatures who are sinful, surrounded by other creatures who are sinful. And so we tend to think of morality in relative terms, in a sinful scale. And we can, we can imagine at times, you know, I'm not doing that bad always find somebody who works <laughs> not that hard around here right? I, I'm doing okay in this area we find somebody who's not doing as well friends the only way we can imagine that the only way that we can imagine that we are doing rather well the only way we can imagine that we are not so bad is that we don't have any idea what holiness is. You have never seen God with his holiness fully displayed. I know this because you're still alive. Because his holiness is a powerful, a radiant holiness. Hebrews says our God is a consuming fire. 
to think of it like trying to get up face to face with the sun. Close up. The holiness of God is on every page of this book. It is, it is God's revelation to us of who he really is. And it is rather different than what Belshazzar was thinking. And if we're not careful, it will be rather different than how we think. God has revealed that he is, in fact, holy. And so think, think with me for a minute. The book of Isaiah. Are you familiar in Isaiah chapter 6? How God brings Isaiah into the throne room. And he enters into the very throne room of God. And he sees these angels around the throne. Flying around. Giving worship to God. And I think they look rather different than we might expect. But, but if you're thinking they have wings, you're right. They've got two wings for flying. But Isaiah reports that they had three sets of wings, or six wings. Two wings they used all the time to cover their feet, sort of symbolic of their creatureliness before their creator, a kind of angelic modesty before God. And with two wings that God had given them, they used them to cover their eyes because even though they had never sinned, and even though God created them for his presence, still they cannot look upon God in his holiness, in the splendor of his majesty. The angels cannot but shield their face from God in his holiness. And then you might remember the story of Moses. He was, he was up on the mountain receiving the law of God, and he had was talking with God. Towards the end of that interaction, Moses has the most audacious request. Beautiful request. He says, God, show me your glory. And God says, I can't, because it would kill you. But here's what I'll do. I'll hide you in this rock, and I'll pass by. And after I pass by, you can look out and see my back. And I will proclaim my goodness to you. And Moses is able to catch the smallest glimpse of the back of the glory of God. Moses comes down from the mountain having looked at a fraction of the glory of God. And what happens to all the people? They can't look at Moses because of the glory of God coming off of Moses. So radiant is the holiness of God that they couldn't even look at Moses who had seen the glory, part of the glory of God. This is the God of Israel. This is the God of the scripture. He is holy. You might recall that he set up a system of sacrifices in the Old Testament. The first ever high priest was named Aaron. And he was called to give sacrifices to God. And God had laid out how all this should be. And, and the, the, the high priestly office would then pass to his sons. And so his two oldest sons one day came in to offer sacrifices to God. But they paid no attention to God's law. And they came in and offered sacrifices that God did not 
required. They were named Adab and Abihu. And as they approached God to offer these sacrifices, fire came out from the altar and consumed them. Because God would not be mocked in the way that they were offering worship. Because God is holy. A little further into our Old Testament, we get to this time, you might remember, the Ark of the Covenant was captured by the bad guy, by the, by the Philistines. They took it, and as part of bringing it back into Israel, it was put on an ox cart. And this man, Uzzah, was walking next to the cart. And the cart shifted, and the oxen tripped. And he was afraid that the Ark of the Covenant would slide off and maybe be defiled on the ground. He reached out his hand and died. Because it's not dirt that defiles. It's sinful man before a holy God that defiles. God is holy. When Isaiah, back to that throne room, he sees those angels worshiping God. And as they, as they worship ceaselessly from that time to today, what are they crying out? Over and over and over they cry out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Heaven cannot miss the holiness of God. And this is the God with whom you have to do. This is the God whom Belshazzar now mocks. Whose holy vessels now defile. And so it probably should come as no surprise that verse 5 begins with the word immediately. Let's read it together. Immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. The king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed, and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way, and his knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. And king Belshazzar was greatly alarmed and his color changed and his lords were perplexed. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banquet hall and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts, your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in the kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers. Because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams explain riddles and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king called Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called. He will show the interpretation. God's word. Immediately, the hand wrote upon the wall. Immediately, the room fell silent. Immediately, 
the king began to tremble from boastful and confident in his kingdom and in his power and in his might and in his glory to now trembling. And in fact, verse 6, verse 6 says, you probably see it, his limbs gave way. This is a rather dignified translation of a rather undignified situation. The original language we could, we could bring across a little more woodenly um, says this, the knots of his bowels were untied. He soiled himself. From praising his idols, surrounded by his lords, king of all the earth, in control of everything, to not in control of his own digestive system. Immediately. God didn't even need to get him out of the palace to deal with him. His color changed. He went pale. His knees knocked together. It is a picture of powerlessness and fear. He calls his wise guys in. They can do nothing. They can't read it. They can't interpret it. They're all afraid. The queen hears about this. She comes in, and she reminds the king about this guy named Daniel. At this point, Daniel is somewhat of a living legend been something like 25 years since he stood before King Nebuchadnezzar. He was high up in office in the realm, but there have been four kings since then. And we don't know if Daniel voluntarily retired over that time. He's getting old at this point. Or was he forced out of his office and forced to be kind of become a civilian there in, in Babylon? Either way, the king had not been thinking about him, but the queen remembers Reminds the king, and the king, powerless to do anything else, calls Daniel in. So let's read of their encounter, beginning in verse 13. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, You are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom my king the father brought in from Judah. I have heard of you, that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now, the wise men, the enchanters, had been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation, but they could not show the interpretation of the matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed. Whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up. And whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind and his mind was made like that of a beast and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was 
fed grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this. But you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. And the vessels of his house have been brought in before you. And you and your lords, your wives, and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know. But the God in whose hand is your breath, and whose are all your ways, you have not Daniel comes in hot. He's not being diplomatic or cautious. There's no, oh, king, live forever, like the queen had just said, and like Daniel said every time he stood before Nebuchadnezzar. There is simply the terse, let your gifts be for yourself. Keep them. I'm not going to be bought, but I will tell you what the Lord has said. And so he gives the king a history lesson. Okay, and here's what happened to your forefather, to Nebuchadnezzar. You know all this, but let me remind you how the Most High God made him great and gave him a kingdom and authority. But he became proud in his greatness. And so the Most High God brought him low and gave him the mind of an animal and had him eat and sleep like an animal until he humbled himself and recognized that the most high God rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he will. Now this is a history lesson with a purpose. His purpose is simple. You should know better. I'm going to read verse uh, 22 and 23 again and I want you to follow along with me, um, this is where Daniel's really uh, heating up at this point. And he uses the word you 14 times in two verses. One of the commentators calls it a machine gun abuse. <laughs> you, 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 you. All right? So listen, listen, this is, this is prophetic denunciation on the wicked, blasphemous king. And you. His son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this. But you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. And the vessels of his house have been brought in before you. And you, your lords, your wives, your concubines, have drunk from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know. But the God in, his, in whose hand is your breath, and whose are all your ways, you have not honored. Belshazzar, like any other man, you should have been humble before God. But unlike any other man, you have a story in your family that has been passed on, that should have kept you from this. 
and yet you did not humble yourself. You exalted yourself. And you took these instruments of holiness unto God and you used them for a drunken party. And not only that, you used them spitting in the face of God by worshiping idols with them. You have dishonored the holy God. We'll finish the passage now as Daniel continues. Daniel describes what happens from God's presence in verse 24. Then from his presence, the hand was sent, and this writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed. Mine, mine, tekel, and parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mine, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balance and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command, and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck, and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar the Chaldean king was killed. Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. God's word. So Daniel is able to read and to interpret the writing. Mine, mine, tekel, parson, mine. Your days are numbered and brought to an end. As of now, your kingdom is over. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balance and found wanting. Think of, a, think of an old school balance, right? You put some weights on one side to find out how much something weighs on the other. You're in the balance. Morally, before God, and you're too light. You don't have what God is looking for. And so Perez, or Parson, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. I don't know if you're familiar with the history or not, but this very night, the uh, city of Babylon fell to Cyrus the Great. He came in and took the city, which is what is being described here. And that very night, it fell to the Medes and the Persians. That very night, Belshazzar was killed. We're not told who killed Belshazzar. Probably some soldier doing his duty killed Belshazzar. We don't know who killed him, but what's clear is that his, result, the, the, his death was the result of the judgment of God, not some random guy. This is the result of God's judgment passed and executed on Belshazzar. Now, let me just note on the side for a second. There's a lot of really cool stuff about this story from a historical perspective, from a, a, a language perspective, from an archaeological perspective. I kept trying to fit it in the sermon, and I put it. So yesterday, I took some time and I wrote out three pages that didn't make the sermon of archaeological and historic notes, which you can pick up on your way out, which I hope help you just understand the world in which this was happening. All right? They're, they're interesting to me, and they're, they also encourage my faith as I just see how the Scripture speaks truthfully about actual events that happened in, in world history. But for now... 
it is wise and right that we stay in line with why Daniel wrote this. Why did God put this in our mind? What's God after in us through this? Because here's, here's what Daniel is making clear. The holy God of Israel is well able to rule over any king in any place. Do you remember Belshazzar's name? What did his name mean? Oh, Bel, protect the king. There's a little irony in that name, isn't there? And here he is in the city of Bel, Babylon itself, in behind two sets of double walls, surrounded by his army, in his palace, with his lords around him, and the defeated God of Israel reaches right in. Because God is God of all the earth. He is the judge of all the earth. And he is holy. There are for us this morning, I think, two different applications to consider. Two ways that perhaps the Spirit would apply this to your heart. And so first, let me ask. Do you honor God as holy? Do you honor Him as holy? Do you reckon with the reality, not of the God you want to exist, but of the God who has revealed Himself in His Word? Have you reckoned with that God? The God who is. Because the God who is, is holy. He is the God with whom you must reckon. How easy it is living in Spotsylvania and surrounding counties, seeing the, the world, the decay of culture, the wickedness of others, to think we're doing rather good, to measure ourselves by others. But the only reason we can imagine the only reason we can imagine we're doing rather well or that we're not so bad is because we have not yet reckoned with the holiness of God. Have you reckoned with his holiness? This is a word for Christians, for the church. This is a word for those who are, perhaps haven't become a Christian or aren't sure. As believers, this should cause us to live on our knees. The Christian walk is a walk of repentance. The more you see the holiness of God, the more you will be aware of the distance between you and God. It's a call for us to, to live repentantly before Him, and perhaps, if you haven't, to repent for the first time to Him. Here's the reality. You, like Belshazzar, may not want to acknowledge the reality of who God really is. You might not place real importance on the holiness of God. And yet we see that changed nothing. God is not changed by our thoughts of him. And that's why the heart of the Christian message is repentance. <coughs> Repent, 
Repent, sinful man. Repent, sinful woman, before the holy God. Before you meet God in his holiness. Today is a day of mercy. Before you meet God in his holiness. Because I promise you, he is just as opposed to sin today as he was on this day. And as Nadab and Abihu slain before the altar. And Uzzah touching the ark. And Belshazzar drinking what he should not drink. They stand as warnings and cautions. Friend, heed the warning. Heed the caution. Do business with God today. Admit your sin and confess and repent. For God is holy. Calls us to repent of our sins and sacrifices. Second application church is to stand in awe and wonder and worship of this God who is revealed in Scripture. Imagine this. About 500 years after Belshazzar in Babylon. 500 years later, after Belshazzar and Babylon came Bethlehem. And who is it that entered that manger? It was none other than the Holy One of Israel. The one whose ark could not be touched. He veiled his glory. He veiled his holiness within human flesh that we may know him and approach him. And he came, not as judge to judge sin, though he could have, and he would have been right to do so, but rather he came to take on himself the judgment for man's sin. This is astounding. Mankind had trifled with the holiness of God. <laughs> blasphemed God. And God stepped into human history to be punished for that blasphemy. To be punished for that trifling with the holy. That's what Jesus came to do. Glory to God. And we should have ourselves in this story, dear church, because we're the ones who have trifled with the holiness of God and have dishonored him and have blasphemed him and have thought of ourselves as rather good and not too bad and have at times have you done this? even questioned God and thought that you could give him a bit of advice about how he runs his universe On the moral spectrum between God and Belshazzar, we are over here. And Christ came for us, taking the results of our blasphemy and our clueless defiance of God upon himself dying in our place it's as though Christ reached out his hand 
to the Ark of the Covenant and was struck down for our profanity. Babylon casts quite a light on Bethlehem. This is the Holy One of Israel entering history in mercy for you and me. Here's the Holy God come to die for sinful men. Praise God. Praise God for what Christ came to do. And so I close with the words that the angels announce Christ's birth. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Let's stand together. Worship team, come on up. Father, before we sing, take a minute to repent. You grant us the gift of repentance. Turn away from our sin. Lord, where, where you have made it obvious, we repent. Help us turn from it to Christ. Lord, where we are failing to see where we need to repent, would you open our eyes? In a sin-soaked world, we can even forget and overlook our own sin. Of that, we repent. We look to you for mercy. Lord, if there's anyone here praying this for the first time, would you grant them your mercy in Jesus Christ? And Lord, for the one here who is praying this wearily for the 10,000th time, grant them afresh your mercy through Jesus Christ. You are all of our hope. You are all of our life. We worship you. Amen.